am Peti Rasova, a Stanford Lead alumna. I am talking today to Jose Pires, the founder and CEO of Global Excellence and Innovation. Welcome, Jose. Katia, thank you. Very glad to be here with you and your audience. Uh, wonderful opportunity to talk about leadership. Jose, would you please give us a brief overview of your career path? Absolutely. So, you know, I'm I'm the currently the CEO of Global Excellence Innovation. And uh, what we do is that we work across all industries, uh, focus on accelerating excellence, innovation, and transformation for organizations. So this is a, a continuation of work that I have done for great organizations where I lead excellence and innovation from within. Um, I, I started my career at Sony Electronics, and then from there I went to a startup in the semiconductor industry that really changed the world called Symer. Today is Symer ASML. Um, and, uh, and then went on to do a transformation at Nestle, the food company. And then I spent the next 15 years or so of my career uh, in the energy industry. First on an engineering construction company focused on critical infrastructure around the world uh, called Blocking Beach. Uh, and then I was a global leader for excellence and innovation at uh, Endeavor Corporation, which became Marathon Petroleum Corporation today, and uh, where we, we led one of the greatest transformations in the energy industry. Um, so, so that was my path. And, uh, and then uh, I, I became an advisor uh, on a full-time basis. And, uh, and that's really my mission on accelerating excellence, innovation, and transformation across all industries. So today I spend about half of my time on events where I am a keynote speaker. I'm a chair of an event related to excellence, innovation, transformation, a lot of technology events. Uh, and then the other half of my time, I spend with organizations on advisory for creating their own systems and mechanisms and really fostering a specific type of leadership development within their organizations that will make them more capable to lead their own excellence, innovation, and transformation. So this is really kind of my, my journey till the end of times. Quite impressive, Pat. Congratulations. And looking back, what do you think has been critical in your path to power? There is so many things and there's so many people to, you know, to acknowledge and say thanks to. We could spend hours doing this. And in a way I do, uh, you know, I have a five-day uh, masterclass focused for leadership development that goes deep into this uh, into these concepts. And just for the benefit of the audience here, uh, to give them a bit of background, um, I have been on this path of excellence, innovation, and transformation for nearly 30 years. And, uh, you know, I, I often say that I'm an expert on this and I'm an idiot about everything else. So I'll stay, I'll stay on my lane here and talking about this expertise on excellence, innovation, and transformation. And this really has been derived from, um, working and collaborating very closely and training over 50,000 cross-industry leaders of excellence, innovation, and transformation throughout my career. And uh, the lessons that I have acquired over time came from them. Uh, and, uh, and then I distilled their principles and lessons, you know, in a lot of the discussions that I have and the talks that I do. Uh, but when I talk about personally, I try to emulate a lot of them uh, and I learned from so many of them. But probably early on in my career, 
Um, you know, when I graduated from college, you know, I was, uh, first of all, got to go back a little bit further. You know, I was a, a poor kid from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, my family was a family of immigrants where my dad was a flower grower and my mom had a third grade education. Uh, so I had three overs. I had three older sisters. I mean, we're a poor family, but we're a happy family. And then my dad passed from a terrible um, um, uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when he was when I was very young, you know, partly related to the pesticides that he had to work with. Uh, and my mom, again, you know, just with a third grade education, we had to make ends meet. And but the reality is that this is not some sad story from some poor kid in poor kid in South America. Uh, we had access. We had enough to eat. We had access to education. I did very well in school. And in fact, when I got older, I came to the United States when I graduated from great schools, you know, and I had degrees in electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, physics, investment banking, and entrepreneurship. So I was highly educated. Uh, I got tremendous opportunities and I went to work for Sony Electronics, you know, about 30 years ago when Sony was at the top of the world when it comes to display design and new technology design. And I was working in, in, in that center uh, and I learned. Um, so that experience, I think the first experience that I'll share with people is that and this is an experience that I that I had and I was a bit fortunate, uh, but an experience also that we have seen across many great enduring leaders uh, that we have collaborated with. And, uh, and that experience is that I, you know, I developed a lot of my intellectual abilities, if you will. I became kind of like this smart engineering type of person. And, then, and that's really what Sony wanted. But the reality is that what I have learned over time is that um, you don't become great as a leader uh, by just leading with your head. And, you know, I tell people that when I got to Sony, I had a big head because I had come from nothing. And then all of a sudden I was exposed to this, you know, what looked like science fiction uh, in terms of what they're doing uh, with the development of technologies at Sony. And uh, but I and I led with my head, which is OK, but uh, it's not great. Uh, great enduring leaders and organizations, they don't just lead with their head. They learn how to lead with their head their hearts and their hands. I call it the three H's. So if you want to be a complete leader, you need to lead with your head, but also with your hands and with your heart and your heart. And uh, and you got to engage people around you to do that as well. And I think that's one of the first big lessons uh, from uh, that I had from a great mentor that I had at Sony. And uh, and also we have been able to validate this across time. Another key factor early on in my career, and I'm incredibly lucky that I came across this early in my career, is this concept of ikigai in Japanese, which is you know finding your center, finding your purpose, and how does that a purpose align with the work that you do? And uh, and then if you can blend the purpose of your life with the purpose of the work that you have, that is tremendous. But it's incredibly hard to do. And uh, and really I've been you know, con chronically consistent and disciplined on uh, trying to do that for nearly 30 years now. And uh, and I think very few people even realize that, that that's important. Uh, but so those are very fundamental things in the beginning of my career that, that were very, that I was very fortunate to experience and I think set me on the right path. And you mentioned the masterclass in leadership excellence and innovation. Uh, would you share some of the lessons that you learned from other prominent leaders? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So again, context on this, uh, you know, the over 5,000 organizations in the last 30 years across 20 countries and very different cultures, uh, both both within countries and, you know, uh, you know, across countries. Um, and first, I will define what great enduring leaders and organizations uh, uh, are uh, in our definition. The way we look at this is that and it comes from the fact that, you know, I start about two decades ago, I started doing like this big award shows and uh, on on excellence, innovation, transformation, technology acceleration, which is fantastic. And we have like this cross industry panels of judges. They're evaluating this interest from what's supposed to be the best of the best organizations around the world. They're accelerating excellence, innovation and transformation. A lot of technology built into that, as you'd expect. So we have about a thousand submissions for any one of these award shows. And then from there, you know, the judges will narrow down to less than 10% of the finalists. Okay. And so these are the best of the best. So I have had this amazing uh, opportunity to look at these submissions and look at what people who think they're the best in the world, what do they do? And then the, the finalists and the winners, you know, we take, you know, they are awarded these big fancy shows, they're awarded the big awards, and I get to see what they look like. But here's a catch. I have been following them now for over two decades. And the, even the award winners, which are the best of the best, think of the best cross-industry organizations you can think of. They are represented there. And they win these awards. And you look at their, their leaders and their program leaders for excellence, innovation, and transformation. They're very proud of it. But if I look at their performance over time, about 50% of the winners in a period of three years, their programs will die as low death. In a period of three years, they're the winners. In a period of five years, 95% of them disappeared. And in a period of a decade, over 99% of them just die as low death and they, they, they just disappear and they become irrelevant. So there's about 1% that are, you know, they are able to be consistent with their journey and continuously increase excellence, innovation, and positive transformation that creates value, that drives strategies for the organizations. Only 1% of the winners are able to do that over a period of 10 years and continue to grow that because now they have built a culture behind their program, not just a program, but they have built some level of culture. And this is incredibly hard to do. The 1% of the winners get to do this, and that 1% is the group that I characterize as great enduring leaders and organizations. And then we look at that segment, which is a small portion of the, the universe that we deal with. And then by looking at them, we extract some of the key concepts, okay? So this is very important that people understand because I say this because some of the concepts are a bit counterintuitive, and they are like, wow, you know, uh, uh, that's strange, you know, that that's what they do, you know, and uh, they may it's not be the expected behavior that you expect or the values that you expect that they have and the way that they do things. And the reason it's a bit strange is because I often tell people that you may have seen what good looks like, but it's very unlikely that you have ever had the experience to see what great looks like. Because a lot of times when people, you know, will show you what good looks like, it, it's good. That's a little bit more common. Great is rare. And uh, great is, is very difficult to find. Um, now, I can say a lot of things about what the, the different principles and, and approaches that these individuals have. Um, um, but I would say that there are two skill sets 
they're widely developed in their organizations that stand out. Um, and they are collaborative leadership development, widely developed collaborative leadership, which is something that we can get into and even what it means. And then they also have widely developed and uh, immersed in the organization and culture, innovation execution skills. Notice I'm not just saying innovation skills because that's very broad. It's innovation execution specifically and a very disciplined approaches to innovation execution. So collaborative leadership and innovation execution are skill sets that are widely developed in these organizations over a period of 10 years plus. And, they, and then they are able to impact the culture of their organizations in a very fundamental way. I am shocked. <laughs> Only 1% of the best of the best actually succeed in the long run. That's what you're saying. Yes, and it's fascinating because, you know, these are very well-known organizations and people and leaders. Uh, and, uh, and again, some of them will be good, but uh, they are not, they, a lot of them will do something else after they, and that's part of the reason their programs fall apart too. So it's not all bad, you know, there are some good reasons and bad reasons why the programs fell apart over time. Um, but again, we focus on this 1% that is able to do it for over 10 years. Uh, you know, honestly, I ask you and your own audience to look at leaders and organizations uh, and find those who have done something very well and continues to do that over a period of 10 years or more. And they're continuing to extract tremendous value from that, even more so 10 years later. Um, go find those leaders and organizations. And you're going to find that it's a very rare breed. And there are many reasons for that, but it's a very rare breed. But you can learn a lot from those because they have, um, they to achieve that, it's incredibly hard. You have to have a very clear purpose and you have to have discipline, which is really hard. And mm -hmm. discipline is not following a regimented set of rules. The ultimate definition of discipline is consistency with purpose over time. And that is very hard to do because people uh, and organizations often do not have that clear purpose and let alone having the discipline or to be chronically consistent with that purpose. Uh, you know, um, a, a bit of a, of a side note, but people often ask me, Jose, Jose, what's more important then on these great organizations? Is it more that they are like excellent? So it's excellence, the most important thing that they have? Uh, and I say, no. Oh, okay. So it must be innovation, right? They're the most innovative organization. So it must be that they're the, the innovation is the biggest driver for their success, right? And I said, uh, no. I was like, well, hold on. So what is it? Uh, it's both. And the reason is that uh, because by all means, they have excellence. None of these organizations that are great in the long run, uh, they, they all have a foundation of excellence. But uh, an excellence about setting high performance standards and working diligently to meet and exceed those performance standards. There is nothing wrong with that. And you have to do that. Great enduring organizations do that. But if you only do that, over time, you become obsolete. Mm -hmm. So the other side becomes, and this is the real tricky one. Because I was the innovation guy for so long in my career, people come to me and they think that I have this bias that innovation is a solution for everything. And what they, say, what they think is that these great enduring organizations are the most innovative organizations because they're constantly kind of like changing the way they do things. They're discovering the new ways of doing things and they are nimble and flexible and they are, have this adaptability, which is tremendous. So the, most, the great enduring organizations are the most innovative, right? 
No. Do they have innovation? Yes. Are they the most innovative? I wouldn't say that. They have innovation by all means. They have this ability and discipline to take a different perspective at problems and come up with opportunities and new ways of doing things that create disproportional value. That's wonderful and the ones that are great. But most of the great innovative organizations, they are very good at innovating and coming up with new ideas that create value. But the problem is that when they come up with that new idea or that innovation, they fall in love with either the innovation itself or technology. And then on top of that, they pride themselves on being nimble and flexible, which is another word for chronically inconsistent. And what they do is that they change very fast. But if you look at them over a longer period of time, it's like a zigzag across a flat line. They are unable to scale the innovation that they created consistent with their purpose. So this the, the thing becomes, okay, so it's not the most excellent, it's not the most innovative. So who are these great enduring organizations? Well, you know, the culture of excellence and a culture of innovation is actually at odds with each other. Excellent pulls in one, excellence pulls in one direction, innovation pulls in a different direction. There's a bit of a disdain on, on, both, on either culture towards the other. And, but to make things hard, what happens is that the great enduring organizations, they do not make a choice between excellence and innovation. They do both, which is incredibly hard because the cultures are at friction with each other because you, you, you can't get to, you don't design cars by squeezing efficiencies out of horses. So you cannot just be doing excellence, you know, your whole life. And, but if you just do innovation either without excellence, you're, you're destined to mediocrity over time. So great enduring organizations, what they do, they have a foundation of excellence when they meet and exceed performance standards continuously. But then they also have the discipline to step away from it, look at it from a different perspective and say, there's got to be a better way, not a 5-10% better way, a 5 or 10-fold better way. When they come up with that new innovation, they do not fall in love with that, in, that new innovation. They, are, they, they only have love for their purpose. And what they have a very clear purpose. And when they come up with that innovation or technology, what they do, they are able to scale that innovation or technology to create value consistent with their purpose. And the way to scale innovation consistent with your purpose that we have found these organizations is by applying the principles of excellence that they usually despise to the innovations that they have created. And that is the way for them to do it chronically consistent with their purpose, which is discipline. So they have this intelligent blending of excellence and innovation. And in fact, this is a very common principle across all great enduring leaders and organizations that this, I call their ability to master contradictions. When, you know, common-minded people and leaders, they, what they do is that when they have two options, they spend endless hours debating option A versus option B. Great enduring leaders and organizations don't do that. They know that the best solutions are often on the intelligent blending of forces that pull in very different directions. And, you know, you know there, is a, there is a great quote, and, you know, I'll paraphrase here, the risk of being wrong, that the test of a, of, a, of a great intelligence is this ability to hold two opposing ideas in your mind at the same time and you still retain the ability to function. And this is from F. Scott Fitzgerald. And it's, it's a great summary quote of what great enduring leaders and organizations are like. They, they, they pull, they work with these forces that pull in different directions. They find that the intelligent blending of these forces is typically how they get to, um, um, 
to to this greater level of performance. It sounds to me like you're talking about evolution, combination of innovation with routine. Yes, indeed, <laughs> indeed. 